that and there's all of this difficulty, he is writing here about hope with the Corinthians in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. How can he write this way in a troubled relationship? We're going to see that uh, this morning one of the climaxes of this passage comes toward the end of chapter 3, where he says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is a high point in this passage. It is one of the the strongest foundations of the hope that Paul has with this disillusioned church in conflict with them. He is saying the Spirit of God makes us free together. Now, Paul, what do you mean by that? What does that actually look like when the Spirit of God comes and gives this freedom. Um, We're going to answer that question this morning. We're going to go uh, deep into the story of Paul and the Corinthians this morning. We're going to examine what he says about hope and how it describes what he means by freedom this morning. And we're going to do that through the lens of this man I mentioned earlier, Titus, and the relationship that church and himself. So all of these things we're going to talk about. Let's dive in and ask this question. What does Paul mean when he says the Spirit makes us free? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul, what do you mean by freedom? Well, the best way to answer that is to look at what he describes all around this verse. Verse 317 isn't a standalone verse. It's not a quote we pull out of the air. He's in the midst of saying lots of things about the hope that he has with the Corinthians. So let's look at that. I'd like you to back up and go to chapter 2 and verse 12. And he talks here about a moment when he was in the depths of weakness and despair. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So a little bit about the map here, Troas is just across the ocean from what we would call Europe today. Uh, and and uh, I believe it's, it's directly across from the Balkans. And um, anyway, it's one of these doorways between modern-day Turkey and uh, modern-day Greece. And so Paul is in this port city of Troas. He's got a big opportunity. He says, the door is open. I can preach the gospel here. I'm free to do that. But he's sick at heart. He's weak. He's troubled. His spirit is not at rest. And what he says earlier in 2 Corinthians is that he has been through a period 
would say within the last six to eight years, I have felt that way probably multiple times a week, wondering, is there a future for me, for this work that I'm doing, both in my previous church and this one? You go through these, these periods where there's just one hit after another, and you wonder, can I take another one? That's where Paul is. He comes to Troas, and the guy he left in Corinth to sort things out there, he was supposed to meet Titus there. But Titus doesn't show up. And that doesn't mean, of course, that he's 15 minutes late, because this, that's not the schedule we'd run on in ancient times. We're talking about... He's there for days, weeks, expecting maybe Titus will come in on this ship, or maybe he'll come down the road today from Macedonia. And he doesn't come. He doesn't come day after day after day. And so Paul is restless in his spirit. He's feeling weak. And so he takes off from Troas, leads his preaching to go into Macedonia, why would he do that? To try to find Titus. Where is he? What has happened to him? Is, is he sick? Has he been robbed and left for dead somewhere on the road? Was there a shipwreck somewhere a couple of weeks ago that I hadn't heard about yet? These kinds of questions were live questions. Look closely at verse 14 of chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Triumphal procession. You have to get the picture of a Roman emperor going through a brand new, clean, white victory and in his parade, as he enters the Roman city in triumph, he has in his train all of the plunder from the war that he just won, and all of the captives from the other armies, and he's leading all of them in triumph into the city. And Paul says, no matter what we're going through at any given time, Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, the Emperor, who is always leading us in that triumphal procession. And one day, that triumphal procession is going to enter the gates of the new Jerusalem, and his kingdom will be established. So this is a triumph. Now, what's funny about this is Paul doesn't say at this moment that he found Titus. He drops this story right here. He doesn't say anything more about Titus. He doesn't say, Jesus solved my problem. I ran into him here. He, he, he did run into Titus, but we're not going to get to that until a little bit later. Here, he just says, at my moment of weakness, despair, and difficulty, where I was really unsure whether I could take another hit, Jesus met me and let me in the difficulty. So you get the picture here. The difficulty doesn't go away. 
doesn't stop. The pain doesn't stop. But the triumphal procession goes on. Freedom. What does freedom look like? Strength from Jesus Christ when you are weak. Now, if you don't want to feel weak, if you don't want to go through the suffering, which none of us do, if you don't want to undergo that pain and difficulty, then indeed we are looking for a way out of all of that trouble. We want to we want to be sprung from that prison of suffering. We want to be free from it. That actually doesn't happen, does it? Because maybe we get sprung from this situation and we find freedom from that problem, but we just find ourselves landing in another one. And our, our strength is at an ebb again, and our spirits are low again, and we wonder again whether we're going to make it day after day after day. Paul says freedom is in being weak. Famously, he's going to say at the end of this letter, Christ is glorified in my weaknesses. Freedom has a lot to do with limitations. Okay, so the next thing I want you to see about what Paul is saying about freedom, when he says, now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He's at least talking about that strength in weakness when you're afraid you can't handle anymore. He's also talking about strength and freedom through relationship. Remember when we looked at the first three verses of chapter 3 here, we were talking about the fact that Paul says to this disillusioned church in the midst of a conflict with him, not about one thing or sort of misunderstandings, but a deep conflict over real abuses going on in that body that Paul is confronting. In the midst of that, Paul says this, verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He says, you are the letter from Christ. You are our letter of recommendation, and it's not a, a letter written with ink or from some famous person or from some celebrity recommending us. This is you and your experience with us written on your hearts and on our hearts. In other words, Corinthians, we're going through this tough thing right now. But the Spirit of God is writing a letter by this tough experience. He's going to bring us through it and show us something new about himself. And he's writing this letter on our hearts in our relationship together. So the source of hope that he's describing here is the spirit-led relationship that he has with these Corinthians. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice about this. We still don't know what happened to Titus. Where is that guy? You've got to get the picture here. Titus was in Corinth for a lengthy period of time. So he was in their homes he was meeting with them, praying with them, counseling them, bearing burdens with them. Titus is the guy who Paul says, see that 
have some of the church over there in Corinth. I want you to go there and fix it. Pastor that church. That's like if uh, you know, the Secretary of State calls up and says, yeah, we think you're really smart. We'd like you to go fix this thing with North Korea. I mean, the Corinthians didn't have nukes. But this was a tough, tough situation. And Titus went there, he went through all of this, and there is a bond between Titus and the Corinthian people. There's a relationship there. He is written on their hearts. They are written on his heart. So Paul says, you know, when I came to Troas, I didn't find Titus. And he drops the subject and says, but Christ leads us in triumph. He starts talking about their relationship together uh, as, as a church. There's you know, a letter written on tablets of human hearts and all the things they're going through. But this letter would have been read out in the church live. And it would have been read out by Paul's emissary there. And they would all have been hearing it together for the first time. So at this moment, Paul says, I didn't find Titus. What's in their heads? Well, what happened to him? Was he sick? Was there a shipwreck we didn't hear about? Was he robbed and left for dead? All the same problems that Paul has. And Paul is not going to tell them yet what happened with Titus and what the ultimate conclusion of that was. What he's going to tell them is how the Spirit of God takes all of this suffering, difficulty, and uncertainty and writes His letter on our hearts. He says that's the source of our confidence. That's why we go forward in ministry without doubt, without hedging, without um, wondering even what's going to happen. We go forward confidently because we see the Spirit of God at work in our relationships. And we've got the same dynamic here. Trouble, limitations, don't have answers to key questions that are on our hearts and minds, and yet there is confidence coming out of this. Freedom. That's what freedom is in the Holy Spirit. Confidence growing out of the difficulty. Uh, he goes on to talk about that verses 4 through 6. He talks about the fact that we are not sufficient for any of these things. We're not confident because of our skills. We're not confident because of our intelligence or our talents. We're not confident in anything except this one fact that God has made us, verse 6, competent, skilled, sufficient, to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're not coming to Corinth bringing you law, Paul says. We're not coming to Corinth bringing you condemnation. Titus didn't bring you condemnation. He brought you life in the Holy Spirit, life in the gospel. And so our confidence comes from the fact that God has sent us out as ministers of the gospel to be 
symphony that comes from a life in the Holy Spirit. Question. What is your hope based on disillusioned, fearful, out of energy, wondering if you can take another hit. Where is it? What is it founded on? If your hope is founded on some kind of internal, solitary, personal, even if I put it this way, some kind of mystical experience that God somehow zaps you with Holy Spirit power and you are Isolation. Beloved, you're missing the point of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to very practically stitch your life together in unity with the life of other believers. So that that life goes back and forth and comfort goes back and forth and softening happens. You come away from that kind of interaction with the body of Christ saying, I have new life in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. If you're isolated, I'm not saying that God is going to ignore you. I'm saying that his normal mode through the Holy Spirit is to knit your life together with others. That's how it works. That's the whole pattern of the New Testament. So, freedom here isn't really about me doing what I want to do. Freedom for Paul is about us being free together. Because the Holy Spirit is strengthening our weaknesses, renewing our power, giving us confidence and giving us new life together. In other words, freedom for Paul is an us thing, not a me thing. Very important. Let's look at the next uh, things that Paul says. He talks about the permanence of what the Spirit is doing. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, verses 7 through 11. Now, the fact that the Old Covenant, the letter of the law, that comes with death and condemnation, it came with glory, but it was the glory of cut flowers. It was going to fade. It wasn't going to live on. It was not a permanent glory. Verse 11, Paul says, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So he's saying here that our whole hope and confidence is in the fact that what the Spirit does with us is eternal, it's permanent, it's going to last. This is reflected in his relationship in, with Titus and the Corinthians. Turn back to chapter 7. I want you to notice what Paul says about this comfort he received from Titus. He meets Titus, and Titus says to Paul, they're responding to you. Take heart. They're following your directions. They're obeying your directions. Um, they, they are responding to the Lord. They are setting things in order. They are sticking 
chapter 7, verse 10. Well, back it up to verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Reaction may be, oh, that just doesn't sound right. I'm, I really don't want to go to that meeting where I'm going to feel grief and where I'm going to be cut to the heart by things that are difficult. Like, I don't want to go to that meeting. Paul has been through those meetings, Titus has been through them, the Corinthians have been through them, and the result is we're through it. We're on the other side of it. And we are more soft-hearted toward each other, and there is repentance happening. And so we're glad about this, verse 10. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So he says we're working on permanent things here. We're grieved for a little while right now. We're disillusioned for a little while right now. But there is something permanent being done in us. And Paul says what that is. Verse 12. Although I wrote to you about the matters of conflict in Corinth and abuse, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong. But in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you where? In the sight of God. He says, we're going through this. This isn't about just resolving the very serious problems, but the temporary problems that we have. This is about us being shown for who we are before God. Because the Spirit is doing something eternal and permanent in us. What would happen to you if you interpreted all the trouble in your life as unveiling who you are before God? And showing in His presence, the permanent good redemption, salvation, the permanent strength, the eternal life that you will have with him in his kingdom. What if you interpret all the trouble in your life through that lens? Would it change the way you feel? I think that would be a kind of freedom. Because the freedom is... This is happening. It is difficult. I am weak. Maybe I'm even fearful and in despair. But I know that what the Spirit of God is doing through this is showing who I am before God. And that I cannot lose. It will never go away. Suppose, suppose you could write a song that was guaranteed 
Luther's work, but what's happening right now is a collapse of our confidence and a wariness and a secrecy in the way we live our lives, a hiding, a pulling back that is killing us. It has affected the way churches operate so that we are now at a place where, as American evangelicals, we're almost unable to do anything for ourselves because the knowledge of the Word is so weak and the relationships are so distant and the bond in the Holy Spirit has gone so cold Church of a thousand people is totally helpless if you take away the glitz and the entertainment and all of the, the goodies of, of that situation. If you take all of that away, what's left? Not very much. And so what we need today is to coin a phrase new birth of freedom. I love freedom. Freedom is the most important thing to me in ministry. I hope you heard what I just said and really take it in what it means. Pastor, I thought people would say the word Christ. Oh, aren't those the most important things in ministry? They are, but when I say freedom is the most important thing to me in ministry, I'm saying that when the Word of God is received with faith, when the Word of Jesus Christ is spoken into our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit, and when we resolve that whatever we are going through, He is doing a permanent great work in us that we cannot lose. Whenever we see that, we see a birth of freedom. That is the most important thing to me. You can't have it without the Word. You'll never get it without Christ. What I'm saying this morning is we won't get it without the Holy Spirit either. Because Christ died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God for the purpose of pouring out on His church the Holy Spirit of God. Three things that I've seen over 20 years as a pastor that are marks of freedom in a church. And I see them here. Truth, not lies. I don't mean truth about the gospel or doctrine. I mean emotional truth. People stop covering up and being dishonest about what they're really feeling and really going through. But they have the confidence because they see the Spirit at work. They say, this is safe. If the Spirit is here, it's safe. And so I'm going to start telling people what I really am going through. And Paul does. Taking so many hits that I've despaired of life itself. You know, I don't know whether 
tell people what is really grieving me and tell people um, the hard things about my life that I don't understand and that I wish would change and that are not changing. The thing that if I love freedom, what I hate about so often about church life is just the emotional dishonesty of it all. Our inability to say what is really happening. We lose the ministry of the Holy Spirit when we cower behind lies. And so one mark of freedom is that you find people coming together without being really prompted. They just they come together and they start saying, oh, it's really tough, really difficult right now. They start praying with each other. And they start walking with each other through the valley of cancer, through the valley of broken relationships with adult kids, through the valley of, of uh, losing your spouse, through the valley of unemployment, through all of these things. Listen, if you do not have this kind of truth in your life, you are not free. You need the Spirit of God to be at work in your heart and mind through the body of Christ. The second mark that I see is reason, not fear. When a church is free because the Spirit of God is doing the work of the gospel in the church, people don't hide from each other behind walls of lies. And they don't, when a, when a challenge comes at people, they don't stop and say and, and retreat and, and close and lock all their doors and shut people out. Instead, they come out, they come together, and they start reasoning together. What shall we do about this challenge? A really very simple change. But it is a mark of freedom because it means that fear is not the most important thing in the body. Hope. Confidence are the most important things in the body. When people say, well, let's get to work on this. This challenge is coming at us. It looks like a tough one. But we've had challenges before, so let's get to work on this, and let's pray about this, and let's see where the Lord leads us because the Spirit is at work. It's a mark of freedom. Thirdly and finally, in a free church, the Spirit of God is people are givers, not takers. They're, and I'm not even thinking financially here. I'm thinking that that's part of it, but I'm thinking time, emotional energy, creativity, devotion to the work of the body, presence in worship. All of these things, people start to say, I'm, I'm going to give this because the Spirit is at work, and I want to be part of what the Spirit is doing. It's making us more confident. It's dispelling our fears. I want to be an agent of that. I want to be a participant in that. And so we start giving and supplying and meeting needs and praying prayers and opening up and giving time and listening here, all of these things, instead of Constantly calculating, what am I going to get out of this? 
What can I take off of this? The mark of a free church. 